0: Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host. I'm coming at you from a very beautiful, sunny, manly in Australia. And this is episode 59. Um, I'm going to be speaking to a uh, a person called Chris Plough. Uh, Chris is an adventurer. He's also uh, founded a company which he built to be an eight-figure or multi-million dollar company which he sold. He's a man who's charted um, depths of despair and anxiety and also is existing these days in higher states of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose in his life. And we talk about this particular journey. Um, he's a man of adventure. Um, he's co-creating adventures with another friend of mine called Matt Pryor under the name Adventure X, where he deli- where they deliberately guide people to states of discomfort and challenge um, so people can learn uh, what it actually is to be a human. Um, so on this conversation, we go through Chris's life story. There's some very practical, tangible nuggets in terms of um, how to actually go through the process of um, allowing one's purpose to emerge or living with fulfillment. Um, we also talk about this very interesting age that we're living in where there's uh, technological expansion and growth and things like uh, blockchain and decentralization, AI, AI VR, and what it, does, what it actually means to be a human being living through these times and how there's concurrently a theme of um, awareness expansion human beings um, gaining more awareness and skills when it comes to the inner dimension of growth and how can we how can these two areas converge um, in the most uh, beautiful and impactful way this is the theme of this particular podcast episode Um, i know that you're going to enjoy it if you're a entrepreneurial person or if you're just someone who's looking to have greater self-awareness and understanding of the world that we live in. Um, before we get straight into it, check out Flow Tribe if you're looking for a community of like-minded people. It's, there's some awesome conversations and practices and sharings going on in there. It's really inspiring to be part of this community. Um, people like walking their own flow path in so many different ways and learning more about what brings people alive. So check it out, flowtribe.co. Without further ado, let's get straight into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here today with Chris Plow. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thank you, Jiro. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. So, just so the uh, the audience can quickly navigate or get some sort of sense of uh, where, well, first of all, tell us tell us a little bit about where you, where you are today and and kind of what you've been up to today, just so we can kind of ground into your physical reality.
1: Yeah, sure. I am here in Eden, Utah, um, actually staying with some friends because there's a beautiful community around here. Um, my day today has actually been a little bit of recovery. I just got back from a trip to Puerto Rico, learning about what's happened there, working with some entrepreneurs to try to help them out, um, and getting a sense of the island after um, two months after the uh, hurricane, they're still doing a lot of recovery. Um, so uh, my day today has actually been fairly relaxed to get back into the swing of things, and now we get to talk.
0: Awesome, man. So just so the, the, the listeners have some sort of context here, so I came across Chris through a mutual friend of ours called Matt Pryor. Chris and Matt have recently launched a venture called Adventure X, um, which, and which is amazing because both Chris and Matt um, share a similar history and, and flavor in terms of the sorts of crazy adventures you guys get up to. Um, help us understand give us give us like a little bit of a rundown of some of the most profound and, and enjoyable challenging adventures that that you've had in your
1: life <laughs> uh, yeah uh, the one for me that was at the crux of it all was I drove an ambulance ten thousand miles from the u k to Mongolia across all of europe Russia um, had some hairy moments but for me, that was this inflection point uh, that took me from rock bottom to this place of trying to understand what fulfillment was. Um, then I did uh, rickshaw 3,000 miles across India, um, motorcycle and sidecar through Siberia to the Arctic Circle. Um, earlier this year, I went down and helped friends uh, build and weld an enormous 80-foot-long octopus sculpture engulfing a World War II ship. And then we sank it to create one of the new reefs down in the BVIs, um, of course this was before the hurricanes, uh, but yeah. it 's to become a new reef and everything else
0: wow okay there's some crazy adventures there that i can 't wait to dive into. I want to figure out I want to I, I find it very illuminating to delve into get some sort of insight into people 's childhoods um, and so we can kind of like trace the dots between uh, past and present I guess um, so were you, or have you always been an adventurous soul? What, was, what were you like in your childhood relative to what you like
1: now? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say so adventurous, and I don't even say adventurous now, like I'm um, independent. So I grew up as an army brat, right? So figure, like my parents moved every two or three years. I had to learn how to enter like new cultures, new groups, new situations, Um, and along with that, like understand a lot of independence, maybe even, uh, an exaggerated self-reliance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's become part of why I feel a little bit more comfortable change or going into new situations. Definitely a big part of that. Um, and like everything pros and cons, um, it also got me to be very, very lone wolfy. Uh, and so like part of the journey, we're all learning, right? Part of my journey now is reincorporating with community. Um, and finding the best of both. How can we have this incredible independence and also this incredible sense of community to hold us together?
0: Beautiful. So you, you've, you've got a background as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and, and quite a technical person. Could you, could you just give us a, a run-through some of your sort of entrepreneurial past?
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem. I was part of a startup called G-Log where we developed software that companies like um, DHL, Coca-Cola, like enormous companies used to manage their logistics. Uh, that company was bought by Oracle. And when that happened, I started my own company called Maven Wire. Grew it from two people uh, to uh, being a, a global company, acquired our, our partners in Singapore and Australia. I actually lived uh, off of uh, Manly Beach for like over a year while we were ingrati- integrating everybody in.
0: Right. Um, well, I'm in Manly right now.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so like, eight figures, global company and everything else. But, um, and I know you you kind of like touched on this as part of your story, man, which I appreciate. It was like massive success and low fulfillment. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, like how do we bring those two things together?
0: Yeah. Interesting. So how, when you look back on, on those times where you were going through, so you obviously it was, it sounds like a high velocity period of your life where you were building up this company that you founded and, um, going through acquisitions and I'm sure that there were like big numbers flying around and lots of pressure and investors and things like that. What, what was your default state of mind or level of happiness,
1: fulfillment, that
0: kind of thing at that time in your life?
1: Uh, like rock bottom. So my default when things get really rough, uh, is to go solo, put my head down and try to brute my, my brute force my way through things. Um, and, I had done that for so long uh, that I had hit complete burnout, complete rock bottom. Um, And that's why a big shift was necessary in my life to be able to find what fulfillment was and what made me happy.
0: So awesome. So why, when you look back at it now with hindsight, and, and I often play this game to try and gain a little bit more awareness around why particularly I suffered when I was in my sort of like high-flying corporate days um, and whether or not, like, if I were to go back into those sorts of environments now, would I be able to thrive in those environments now, having gone through the experience before? Um, so when, when you look back on it, what, what were the particular things that led to that state of rock-bottomness?
1: Yeah. Um, so first and foremost um, being motivated by absolutely the wrong fuel, mm. right? I think of it as the ego fuel. It was, we want to have more things, more money, more recognition, higher status in order to prove that I'm enough, right? And the game never wins. You just keep emptying yourself out. So that was the core of the problem. Then the fact that I had, because of this, right, I had to prove I was good enough. I was doing everything alone, Uh, Rather than bringing the community and family and this incredible team we have closer and closer together. Um, And then uh, lack of a mission that truly drove me. So the the community, like the internal culture, the family we created at Mavenwire was like top of the world. Like some of the best people that I know. But our mission was to, you know, implement logistics software and save a company, an enterprise company, say 2% of their logistics spend, right? Okay, maybe CO2 emissions in the world are a little bit lower, but there's no real mission there. There's no real way to serve the world and make it better. And so, you know, by having a mission, something a little bigger than that, um, you can just change the dynamic. So like to, to take your question, flip it around, it's, Number one, like fueled in the right way by the things that power you up. Number two, do it together and bring it like that sense of, of, of community, of um, everybody having a stake in the game together. And then three, having a mission that makes a damn difference, right? Something that you can really bite your teeth into and know that day by day, whatever small step you make, at least you're getting closer to it and improving the world along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, lots to dig into there, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, let's talk a little bit about ego fuel. Uh, the, the, I view ego when I talk about, it's interesting that you use the term ego fuel. Cause I often talk about how um, we can be powered either by like, um, fossil fuels or by something more sustainable. Right.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> you know? love it, man. Like literally like the, the talk I just gave was like how to go from ego fuel to like uh, fulfillment fuel or, you know, so you get yeah. fulfilled because it's that same thing. And I, I, I make a very similar analogy. Like when you move to those new fuels. It's like they're renewable, right? They're sustainable. They don't end. Like, so if you had a rocket and and the way you relaunch rockets off, you know, it's using traditional fuels. And eventually it runs out. If you don't have enough fuel, it's going to crash back down to Earth. But man, once you get into space and just get a little bit of, you know, orbit and stuff going on, if you have a sustainable fuel that goes on forever, even if it's lower powered, like you can go to Andromeda. You can go anywhere in the freaking universe, right? Or other universes because it never ends.
0: Totally. The, the, the feeling of let's tap into that feeling of being fueled by, but by, by ego fuel and, and, and how can, and how Hold can on. people, how can people know about it? Like what, okay. what are some sort, of, sort of some of the warning signals? Can you see me? I
1: apologize, man. Yeah, we broke up. And so I didn't get that question. Cool.
0: So let's, I'm going to just kill the video just to make sure that the audio quality stays high. Okay. Um, awesome. Yeah, I'm just doing that now. So let's, I want to tap into that feeling of ego fuel, because um, for a lot of people out there, this is, you know, it's, it's, it is quite, it can be quite a subtle thing. If you've lived your whole life sort of optimizing for pats on the back and being really popular and, and whatever it is, it's like, it can be, it can be hard to understand that you're being fueled by this unsustainable fuel until it's kind of like, almost too late and, and it's, and it's super traumatic. So what are, what are some of the signs that, that uh, there's potentially a, a dangerous amount of um, addiction to the ego fuel?
1: So I think the, the first sign uh, that I sense and I see in others is just the fact that that You're doing things and you always have this this constant feeling that, okay, when I hit X, when X happens, whatever it might be, I'm going to finally be done. I'll feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I'll feel better about myself. And then every time when you hit that milestone, um, you feel less than. You Mm -hmm. actually feel emptier, right? And it's that internal sense of I've climbed this mountain. I've gotten to the top. (sighs) Why don't I feel good? Why don't I uh, feel... Um, worthy? Why don't I feel all these things? That, that whatever words we might use, and then so you immediately look to a different mountain and say that mountain's going to make my life better. I'll do that mountain, right? Mm. Um, and that happens over and over again.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's that, that's an interesting point. This this I uh, often talking about like being like a hamster on the wheel, like mm. or, or almost like uh, the analogy of of uh, chasing a carrot and like you know, the donkey chasing the carrot and it's almost like you keep on catching this carrot and eating this carrot, but it doesn't actually provide you any nutrition. Um, And so, yeah, eventually you realize that it's just, you've been sold a a lie or or you're tricking yourself into thinking that what you're doing has, has meaning. So what, so what was it for you that, that, that was like the, the, I don't know, the, the catalyst or, or, or the point at which you were like, hang on. I've got to unplug from, from this unsustainable ego fuel. Like what was, was there a single event or was it just an accumulation of the pain becoming uh, too great to handle?
1: Oh, so like leading up to this, I guess to, to paint a little bit of perspective, um, uh, I had continually suffered um, multiple things and went then further and further down the hole. So um, from uh, quite Blatantly just suffering incredible personal loss. So I I had lost my parents in a very tragic way. And then I didn't know how to deal with that. So, okay, heads down, work more, put it away, bottle it up, you know, focus on the company, the future, do that. Uh, Then we had uh, the financial crisis. And then it's like, okay, company's on the edge. Uh, Company at that time was my self-worth, right? And so, okay, just work harder. Um, Massive key customer in a turn turnaround attempt that we had went bankrupt, um, again, further and further down. And, um, I got to this point where I was literally, um, I'd go out and ride my motorcycle, uh, for a bit of relief, but I Mm. was, I wasn't riding it, uh, uh, to just get out and, and feel, um, feel, uh, that sense of flow and everything else that you can get within it. I was literally going out and had zero value of my own life. And, risking it Uh, within a span of one night within the span of I think it was like uh, a mile and a half something like that uh, an officer pulled me over and gave me nine tickets including uh, reckless riding and uh, riding head-on into traffic on the wrong lane Um, like I just had zero worth of my own life and so a friend of mine like the friend saw this but they didn't know what to make of it and they just thought I was kind of crazy kind of reckless kind of adventurous and uh, a friend said hey man there's these crazy guys out of the UK who drive, you know, crazy vehicles from the UK to Mongolia. Mm -hmm. You would love this. You got to do it, you know? And uh, I couldn't imagine ever doing that. So I'm like, yeah, no, I couldn't. Um, But it just stuck in my head. And eventually I, I had such a point of rock bottom. I figured, yo, before I leave this world, I might as well have one more adventure. Right. And that was the impetus for taking the steps to go on that adventure. And that became um, the inflection point in my life to find something completely different.
0: Mm, interesting. So, did you actually? What 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 stage of your entrepreneurial journey was this happening? Were you had you already set up MavenWire and 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 you're building that company?
1: Yeah. So, this was during MavenWire in um, kind of like the the mid stage. So, it had set up. We had hired people on. Was responsible for people and their families and everything else. I just felt this this weight of all of that. Um, but it wasn't uh, the ultimate success; it would be, you know, become a little bit later either. It was still in the high growth phase. Um, mm. Yeah, tough times.
0: And tell us, tell us about that adventure. So you you drove from London to Mongolia, did you say, in an ambulance?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, I got two friends. We decided to use an ambulance. I mean, we said for the practical reason because you know we could sleep in it and everything else. Uh, but the real reason was because it was just fun. It was obnoxious. You could play with the lights. And (laughs) yeah, man, Uh, started in the UK. We actually started late. So we didn't start with anybody else who's going on this journey. Um, And then took it uh, immediately over via um, a ferry to Hull, and then down into uh, the Czech Republic, and then Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and then through the whole of Russia. Mm. And uh, it was phenomenal. But like, each time we go to like a different section. So Europe was easy. It was like a road trip. And then Russia was like a completely different world because we didn't speak Russian. We didn't know the Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, and the roads became incredibly tough. And so it was like a point of, of pressing ourselves and getting into a point of being uncomfortable and getting beyond our comfort zones. Then we got past that. and We're like, ah, we've got this. No problem. Mongolia, how hard can it be? And that's when like things got super tough because we were taking it off road and then parts started falling all the ambulance we lost the brakes we went 1200 miles without brakes um like, it, like every point this got harder and harder mm. um but what it forced and I, I i think you understand from that point of flow was eventually for me at least like i just had to hit this point of surrender dude like just mm. I have to accept these are the circumstances. I put myself here. Don't get frustrated with it. And then it just became fun, right? Because you get these challenges that come in. You're like, all right, the radiator's leaking. We have no radiator fluid. What are we going to do? And you have to work it out, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it became a true adventure. Mm -hmm. And that was a shift in my thinking, was a shift in the journey. Um, It was beautiful from that point on until, you know, eventually we made it to the end.
0: Yeah, I think like the the beauty of ad- adventures like that, and the way you described it was, it, it in, until s- stuff started fucking up, it was a journey, and then when stuff started fucking up, it became an adventure, which is which is what you always signed up for, and it's it's almost like you have, <clears throat> it's like a metaphor for life, right? It's like you can live your life like in this illus- illusory bubble where everything's just going to be smooth sailing, and it's just and there's a blandness to it. Or you can accept that there's going to be bumps and loops and all sorts of, like, tough learning experiences. And then it becomes an adventure. And it's it's super ironic because we're, so many people are kind of, like, optimizing their lives for safety and security. Um, and and at the same time, we have a culture where there's just, like, untold amounts of anxiety and stress. And, I, and do, you, do you feel like there's a correlation here um, mm-hmm. between people's, like, Really, really, really trying to gear their lives towards being safe and have lots of choices, and just and And the fact that as a culture, as a society, something's not going
1: right. Absolutely. So, uh, two things really keyed off as, as you were saying that. So, number one, I don't believe that absolute safety and security exists, right? And I don't mean just in um, like, our, can you be safe in your home and everything else? Yes. Um, but I mean, uh, our brains interpret. Um, unsafe environments or anything that causes anxiety in a lot of different ways. It's not just physical. It could be shifting changes in life in your job, et cetera. And, And so you have this interpretation of anxiety. What's awesome about adventure or anything that really kind of gets to the core of getting you uncomfortable is you take that kind of more nebulous anxieties and stuff that you feel in life and you shift them into something that is real. So in this adventure, it was, how do you maintain physical safety how do you find a safe place to sleep how do you get food because you're hungry how do you move the vehicle from point a to point b in a day just so you continue to move forward and it's it was like taking back to like the visceral pressures in life and that begins this reset process and then like by doing that i think the a, a more real you starts to emerge where you rise to the challenges rather than being kind of just beaten down by these nebulous, abstract pressures that you can never really tackle. And then you walk away with that with this confidence that when something real happens, you have the ability to stand up and and take care of yourself and take care of others. And that gives you incredible perspective when you go back to life. And then also in the pressures you have in life, when you've got a project that's late, or, you know, having difficulty in a relationship, you have this perspective of, This is hard, but Mm. it is not, you know, I had no food. uh, We're stuck in the middle of the Gobi Desert, and we don't know what we're going to do hard. And Mm. so life gets easier. So it's a shift in perspective. It's a shift in your own power. And it's an understanding of what is a real stressor versus what is uh, the causes like, like real fear, which needs to be acknowledged versus this kind of false stressor that just causes anxiety that weighs upon us. And that differentiation between fear and anxiety is huge.
0: Mm. I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. There's almost like this, there's this default state of perpetual low level anxiety, which becomes just like the new norm for so many people, it's especially I observe with entrepreneurs, you know, because that they're in, they're in sort of like high stakes environments and almost become, it's like this, it's like this kind of like problem solving level of consciousness, but it it actually exists in just being stuck in this, in this kind of like anxiety where nothing is good enough. Um, Now you talked about differentiating that from real fear and this being one of the takeaways you took from this trip. But when you were, when you were in Mongolia or when you're on this journey, I'm sure you were contemplating on these, on these long drives, uh, your business? And what sort of like sh- shifts in your perspective on your on your life, on your business started to take place?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because the beautiful part about this journey, uh, as I've said it, uh, maybe in less eloquent terms, is there's a lot of ass in seat time, right? which just, you're kind of taken up, your body is, is taken up, you have to concentrate on the road to a degree, but the uh, subconscious, unconscious mind has this incredible space to just process and then pop things up into the conscious mind. And um uh the biggest thing, uh there were two things that, that came up there for me. Mm. Um one was the bulk of what I hadn't been dealing with was actually the more emotional stuff. It was the grieving around my parents. Mm. Um and that was the larger block for me that was causing so many ripple effects that were affecting my life, my relationships, my business, everything. And mm. so it was processing through that. And then at a later point in the journey, Um, I finally got to this point where things had broken down. One of my friends had to go in to, to get help. And I was left alone with the ambulance. And I had this space where I finally grieved for them. And I I had this little memorial service and everything else. And it was such a relief. And then that created such other space in my life. Right. Um, to the point you made about business, um, The beyond like having now some bandwidth that I could actually deal with the business in a real way versus, um, this, uh, just, you know, heads down working, trying to ignore it slash do it, you know, type of of process. Mm. Um, I was also taken out of my business for uh, a month and a half, actually nearly two months. And, um, in order to prepare for that, I had to take all the people I'd hired and give them full responsibility, which meant allowing them to do what they were capable of and also making them responsible for it. Um, and that process, by the time I got back and allowing them to flourish rather than me being the bottleneck and kind of being heavy handed because I had been with the business since it had grown, um, the the business ran better once I came back than it did before. Like it had mm. been freed to be able to take into the next stage of its evolution. So, mm. um, I I say that because I think a lot of times when we go on these journeys of of trying to um, understand and and find and fuel ourselves in a different way, we fear that we're going to let other people down or we're going to allow other things to crash. And with the right steps, these things could be mutually beneficial where not only are you served, but Mm. your business, the people that you take care of, everything else have a different way to flourish as well. And you can have success in both areas. It's not an either or.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a very valid point for uh business founders to hear because it's there's almost like the I think what you're speaking to here is how our fragile egos um can become attached to the notion that we are so important and so integral to 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 the to the world around us in particular the business that if that if we were to not be there then everything would fall apart. Um and it's kind of like a, a false illusion that we cling on to to maintain this ego fuel. And it's like it's, it's 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 so often. How often do you hear stories of entrepreneurs actually leaving, like taking a sabbatical or or, or cutting their hours, and and shit just starts to grow. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's one of the stories that you just hear over and over and over again.
1: It, it is, and then I think the other component of it, uh, which is for me massive, was. When you are leading people, right, your, your goal is not to, to coddle them, to provide for, for every little thing. It's not to simply hand down little bits that they can work on. You know, it's to provide an environment that gives them the challenge and uh, the resources and what they need to flourish, right? And that often means that they will do things in a different way that you would. Um, but it's this ability to find their own power and allow them to take that forward Um, but I think is key in those relationships. It's like being a really strong mentor, um, and allowing a mentor or allowing a mentee to grow beyond you. So they no longer need you. Um, and that shift for me was, was key because I wasn't allowing people to grow beyond me. Mm. Um, and then they finally had the chance to, and I couldn't be more proud, you know?
0: It's it's amazing what happens when we give space and time for, Emergent natural growth to occur, mm-hmm. and and as you were speaking there, I was there was a couple of insights that that, that I had. I mean, that you talked about how an, an amazing part of the journey for you was 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 going through clearing of emotional trauma and and having the the time and the space to actually um I grieve certain situations that had happened in your life and and to just do the emotional processing that it seems was, was impossible to do whilst you were in the the hustle and bustle and the grind and the hustle of the, of, of the, of the business world. And then you had, you had, you gave yourself space and that enabled you to grow in a way that previously you weren't growing and to gain a level of awareness you previously didn't have. And that space also allowed other people in your ecosystem to, to grow and as well. And it's, it's almost like this idea that growth can't happen unless there's space for the growth to to happen within. Um, but yet we, we we it's almost like the modern human being has been conditioned to create these lives where there isn't the space in which we can grow into. Do, yeah. Does that resonate for you?
1: Yeah, dude. I, I really like how you said that, that again, you need to create that space too, right? And modern lives as we create them don't always give it. And then sometimes... We consciously or unconsciously don't, right? So at that time, I, I look back and I know I was filling my life to avoid the space because yeah. I, I was afraid of dealing with these things. And I, I've talked to people coming back from like Afghanistan and Iraq, and and you know uh, this one guy I was having a conversation with, um, he's uh, actually you know kind of in the family. Um, I remember him saying. I, I, I can't slow down. I can't stop because mm. if I stop, I know I'm going to think about this stuff and I, I don't know how to deal with it. Mm. Uh, and so it was weird because he was so conscious of it and yet unconscious of it, you know, and all his motivations just kind of like kept him busy and occupied. And so is it society that's doing it? Yes, to a degree. But are we doing this to ourselves because there's a fear of well, what happens when the world's quiet and I have to listen to this voice?
0: Totally, man. It's like I think I think you're speaking to something that's a, a real a real sad thing about our society. Is like a lot of people are scared to be still and silent because they're afraid of what is within. They're afraid of they're afraid of uh, they've been trained so well to, to to run away from all of that stuff. And it's interesting you talked about you know like shedding tears and emotional processing and things like that. It's like this is. The the level of healing and growth that, that that happens through through going through this emotional processing is profound, and it can completely change the trajectory of, of people's lives. And it's ironic that that's what people are afraid of. They're, they're afraid of the, the change, you know. And yeah, yeah. I've 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 had conversation with various friends who are who are kind of like feeling stuck in the corporate world, and they've you know they've they're locked in because they got the the their the kids in expensive schools and mortgages and things like that, and it's like. They're afraid to, they know that if they go down this path that I often talk about, you know, whether you call it a spiritual path or a, or a renaturing path, but like, you know, going off for, for a quest, going off for a meditation retreat, just having time for yourself. I've experienced so many people who are afraid of 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 the, the change that that will elicit in them, which will mean that the life that they've built up, um, no longer is is one that they wish to live and it's it's kind of sad because you're you're getting i mean surely that's just if, if one changes and then one feels the urge to change one's life because of the way that one changes that seems to me to be such a beautiful progressive future orientated way to live life but the but the idea of being anchored in by a lower level of consciousness it's it's kind of tragic
1: it, it is. It, it, like we're like these uh, beautiful dualistic creatures, right? Where there's a part of us. And this is why humanity has flourished is because we are so amazingly adaptable, right? Any situation, if, if there's something we can imagine, we eventually make it real because we can invent, we can adapt, we can create. We are engines of change, right? Yet at the same time with what you've just said, like we have this innate fear of change. Like once we get something, right? You get I get my routine or, you know, I've, I've got the job that I want. I've got the relationship I want. I've got a certain amount of money. Anything that could change that dynamic or take something away, you know, God forbid loss is like hugely fearful to us. And so we are both creating this world of massive change that will like this engine that will not stop. And yet we have this fear of the thing that we create. Well, it's mm. we're. Fascinating I mean I love the fact that we have both, but we are strange and fascinating creatures,
0: we certainly are man so in, in what ways did you become more aware of your strangeness um, when you were on this journey? like my question is how did you in what ways specifically did you feel like you evolved as a human through through that initial experience and uh, getting to mongolia
1: in that journey specifically um, it was just the realization that the path I was on was entirely destructive. Um, Mm. and that I had to find a fulfilling path. I'll be honest with you. I came back and I didn't know what that was. Like I I began exploring from that point and delving deeply into experiences and relationships and like, just what does this mean? And that's, you know, I'd gone from there and had uh, spiritual experiences, had, you know, psychedelics. I just tried everything to figure out what worked for me. Mm. Um, so it wasn't like I came away from, with all the answers from that trip. But I realized this pivotal change that um, I was on the wrong path. And if I didn't find a better one, uh, I probably wouldn't be here today. And that was just, I can't uh, express the magnitude of the difference that made in my life. Mm.
0: And so how did that translate into tangible changes in your lifestyle or your business goals or or anything when you got back to Mavenwire?
1: Uh, so it was hard. Um, I have a business partner and I give him a lot of credit because um, he's a bit a different personality than I am. I'm definitely the the, the more explorative one. Um, and he is, you know, uh, a bit more of the, we've got something, you know, we have got a process and let's kind of like stay with this process a bit more. Um, and I had a conversation with him uh, shortly after that going, I don't know that this is the future for me and I need to find that future. Um, and that meant him stepping into a role that was growth and and difficult for him, and meant me um, beginning to step away from this incredible company and family that we had built um, and literally like my the steps that that took me to were okay I, I think in the next year I had uh oh man it was like six or seven mini adventures you know as well as some, mm-hmm. some larger ones coming up, and then that like led me to uh, Tim Ferriss had thrown this event called Open the Kimono, where he said, look, hey, if you want to learn how to write a book and market it, come on in. I'm only going to allow a few people in, and it's $10,000, right? And uh, I've never spent anything like that in my life. And I'm like, oh. And I, I wrote a note back going, well, here's some things I've done. I have no intention of ever writing a book, which is funny at the time. Um, and, uh, but maybe I'll be able to use this knowledge for, for something else in my life. And somehow I got into it. And that led me to this incredible group of entrepreneurs with different paths and meaning um, and created this whole different community I never knew existed that gave me like tips and resources and support on this path of understanding myself. So um, it's not a direct path for A to B because you kind of sometimes you have to try things out and experiment, but I can draw a direct line from that adventure to where it led me meeting some incredible people in my life, to the opportunities that that's presented, and from there finding a path of incredible fulfillment since.
0: Interesting, because um, I'm fascinated to dive more into this opening the kimono because I read in your bio that, I don't know if this is related, this might be completely tangential, but I read in your bio that you uh, physic- literally opened your kimono and you have performed. <laughs> <laughs> you have performed on stage naked?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so uh that was actually uh before so um i have led uh, a life uh that i am very grateful for what i mean by that is um uh i've done everything from construction to this computer architecture to building businesses um but in this middle period before um, i started Mavenwire. um I uh, went back to school for theater arts because I loved theater and I love being creative and there's a, a strong artist component to me. Yeah. Um, and it was in there, we did a play <laughs> and uh, uh, it was called Hair. And um, uh, we there was a part where you can choose to be naked if you want to be, right? And so there's this big parachute that comes up, uh, falls over you and they're naked and then it continues to fall and then you stand there naked in front of the audience. In this case, you know, it was audience of uh, several hundred people, nearly a thousand. Um, but the funny story is the first rehearsal where we had the opportunity to get naked, um, uh, the, the parachute's coming down, we get underneath it, and this is the first chance too. and I'm like, okay, take clothes off, and I'm just, I want to get this right. I'm taking all my clothes off. And I look around, and nobody else is naked. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how embarrassing. But, you know, uh, that led to, uh, yeah, me opening the kimono in front of a lot of people. And it's, uh, it's freeing, man. Like, cause um, just to take this to a point, I think is relevant to the audience. Um, I think some of our greatest fears are in showing ourselves as truly as we can um, and fearing rejection um, at the worst, or at least not being accepted. And so whatever point that is, whether it's sharing something we care about, sharing our emotions or literally being naked on stage to be able to do it, um, and not need acceptance and yet still feel acceptance is an incredibly powerful feeling. Uh, and I share that to say, you know, um, in whatever way you can get vulnerable, um, that allows for people to know you and to accept you even deeper. I encourage you to do.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a very, very powerful nugget there. Um, there's a, a funny story I have around nakedness and, uh, I was in LA, uh, a few months ago and I'd gone to this all night party where everybody was on um the the same medicine as in the, the mm-hmm. same batch of LSD which was a particularly amazing batch of LSD created by some wizard and uh we came out of that at dawn and we'd had a tea ceremony we'd listened to a, a impromptu cello concerto and it was just kind of like just a cosmic kind of thing going on right mm-hmm. um, and then everyone wanted to carry on like but it was daytime in downtown LA and we had to get out of this venue so someone's like all right let's go to the spa the, the 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 onsen type thing and I was like awesome that sounds great um and so we rock up there and it's like 7 a.m and we're all high and all of a sudden we're in this environment where there's just like like middle-aged Asian businessmen <laughs> like having their morning bath before they go to work and i'm just tweaking out sitting in this bathroom and there's just like nut sacks and 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 butt <laughs> and and everything and because these because you know japanese people korean people like this is like the public bath is such an ingrained part of their culture there's actually like i lived in japan for 2 years and like i've never seen so many balls and penises in all my life mm-hmm. like because they just get naked and and there was a part of me it was so paradoxical and ironic because i i here's me i've just come from this like you know free-flowing event where it's full of liberal people and we're like all expressive and then at the same time I'm I'm sitting in this in this changing room this locker room freaking out about getting naked and, and mm. having all these like self-conscious thoughts going on in my mind and it took me like half an hour to psych myself up just to like get naked around all these all these strangers and and I realized that I've got work to do around like stuff like that there's that's like a level of vulnerability that's like a limiter in my life, um, so eventually, I, when I went when I went back to Australia, I, I decided I was going to spend like a solid amount of time naked. And we got this like nudie beach um, near my house. And I was like, <laughs> "All right, I'm going to go there all day long and not wear clothes." And, and I ended up like camping out the night and spending a whole a whole day and a whole morning naked, and going for swims naked, and allowing myself to be seen by other human beings naked, and sort of just like. And it was super liberating and super empowering. Um, And it it was almost like there were like layers of subconscious, like anxiety and and, and limitations that were just kind of like fading away as as the sun was beating down on my nether regions. Um, Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting experience being naked
1: yeah it is, and I think that you 've hinted at there as well is this this incredible link between you know our physical and our emotional right and mm-hmm. doing something physically that you find uncomfortable and everything else, not only did you you know begin to lean into that fear and create an incredible comfort zone around it, but I have no doubt that there were underlying unconscious shames or fears uh, that you had in your life that began to get resolved as well, right because you shine the light upon something figuratively or literally. Um, and shame cannot survive, totally. right? Shame is like, for us, I think it's the most corrosive emotion that, that humans can have. And anytime we can dissolve mm-hmm. it, the better we are.
0: Totally. I, I often, I find it useful when, when speaking to to, to clients who, who are usually like tech founders um, and using, uh, f- like shifting our relationship with fear. And I'd like to talk about this right now because I, I feel like, um, fear can almost be like our best friend um, in that it's so, it's provides such an accurate compass a, d- a direction for us to head towards if, if you know f- for growth for higher performance like if you want to know any if any human being came up to me and said hey Jiro, I want help becoming a higher performing human I could simply say to them where are your fears what are you anxious about and then they could tell me and then I could be create would co-create a plan to like smash those fears, and then that person would grow. Like, do you kind of agree with that?
1: I do. uh, And if you'll allow me to, um, I want to make a distinction here that for me has been powerful. Maybe it it has a difference for the audience as well. Um, I draw a really distinct line um, between fear and anxiety, right? Things that bring anxiety or tension. So my personal belief is fear is incredibly powerful and needs to be respected. Right. So, in my vernacular, um, when when I feel fear, I open my eyes up. I look around. There's a reason the hairs on my back of the uh, back of my neck have gone up. Something is not right. I need to respect it, and be in the moment, and figure this out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, fear is and it brings an incredible level of awareness. Look around, understand what to do, and that might mean fight, flight, whatever it might mean. Then you do it there. Mm. However, I think most of the time, rather than fear, we use the word fear, but we mean anxiety, right? And that's where your life is not truly in danger. You don't have the hairs going up up in the back of your neck, Mm -hmm. and you just have this desire to avoid something like crazy. And my view on anxiety is um, that's the thing that we look at as the pointer to say, I don't feel like going in this direction, but I can lean into it knowing I'm not in physical uh, or deep emotional danger. Um, and instead, I'm going to lean into it to create this comfort zone around it. So my personal belief, and, and you're welcome to disagree, is lean into anxiety to the full ability you're able to. But pay attention when you feel, feel actual fear because you need to adapt to whatever situation that is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I. You know, it's slightly different language, but I think it's actually more useful to to use your distinction of, of fear and anxiety. What I would have said is I would have spoken about sort of like um, physical threat or like valid, valid fear versus like right. invalid fear. Um, but, yeah, I think the distinction between fear and anxiety is a useful one, because, of course, if a deadly snake comes across our path and the, the, the fight or flight response that is ingrained in, into our into our brain is a very useful one. Um, However, it's wholly um, unuseful to have that same response to the idea of your mother-in-law coming over for
1: lunch. <laughs> <laughs> mostly, mostly, mostly. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> mostly. Um, there's another, I think, along the same lines, and and this is not my uh, model. It's actually uh, from my friend Billy. Is he thinks of like comfort zones in ranges. Like, so you've got your comfort zone where you're comfortable, right? Then you have uh, just past your comfort zone is what he calls the courageous zone, right? And this is your area of growth. Um, and then you enter the danger zone past that point, right? And, and you can feel actual, I think actual fear as you kind of get close to a danger zone and that's where you're going too far and you might emotionally fall off a cliff, you know, and and need to recover, et cetera. And it's, it's not where you achieve growth. It's actually where you can set yourself back. And so, Kind of, as you learn the distinction in your body between anxiety and fear, you learn how to like hit that courageous zone and get the growth that you want without the danger of you know the incredible setbacks you can have if you go into the the danger zone.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that, that's a very useful model. So, how do you? Um, there's a couple of things I want to I want to speak about, and one of them is um, the, the very interesting work that you're doing to prepare people for, for the future. Um, now let, let's get straight into that. So when I asked you to like explain how you explain yourself, you said, um, you help people explore what it means to be human and, and equip them for this transition that is coming. Um, now let, let, first of all, can you please shed some light in terms of uh, the transition that you're talking about? What, what, what is this future um, that we're preparing ourselves for, in your perspective?
1: Yeah, it's, I see the world kind of having been both on the, the more human, empathetic sides and on deeply into the technology world. And I see both coming forward, right? So, we have more and more people that are kind of becoming aware of themselves uh, to an emotional degree, uh, that 's hugely empowering, and that 's kind of stomping forward and then you have these massive shifts in technology with AI and automation and everything that 's coming along that world, even you know world changers like the blockchain and that 's going to shift societies and even economies as we know them and as these two things meet up, um, there is this incredible shift right, and that shift is um, a shift in work, how people uh, get money, how people identify with themselves—it uh, could be shifts in power structures within the world. It's a lot of stuff that's coming into play. Um, the problem is, is these things are speeding up, especially on the technology side. It's moving at a pace that is growing and growing. People will say, you know, exponential growth, but it just means that it gets faster and faster as it goes along. And so, if you don't start beginning to understand where your place could be in the world, where your value is, what your identity is, before that hits a, a real head, um, then you risk being stuck in that point of transition that can be very, very difficult. And so my desire is rather than creating these, this world where we have two shifts, we have the people who kind of know about some of this stuff and have resources to begin preparing for it. And you have a lot of, of you know humanity, the the every person who's kind of, left behind right now because there aren't a lot of resources for them, Um, I want to create a world where we're able to walk into this together.
0: Mm. Awesome. So when that's fascinating. So the the convergence of self-awareness, this rise in self-awareness that's happening around the world, which is undoubtedly a huge theme of, of our times, and it's something that makes me feel very fortunate to be alive at this time. Um, and this is this is happening whilst there is this um, unbelievable exponential increase in in technology and a disruptive form of technology. So what is this? What does this mean? OK, so how how do we best prepare for the fact that the world is changing like like never before, um, in your opinion?
1: So before I kind of get into that step, I just want to um, you know, paint a picture as to why the, the self-awareness and, and other things are, are important, because mm-hmm. they're a part of the answer. So we're going to enter a world where um, professions that are super highly educated, take a lot of work there, but are very more logical. You know, you're talking about doctors, lawyers, etc., are going to be replaced by AI and, mm-hmm. and sooner than not, right? So if you have a high level of education, that isn't necessarily uh, protecting you. So you've already seen Watson, you know, out in very specific cases, you know, uh, doctors, but that will grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And then you have the fact you have automation coming in assisted by AI. Uh, and that means that if you're moving anything, if your job is moving anything, Um, That that's going to go away. And that's whether you're driving a car, moving things around a warehouse, you know, that will be automated, that will go away. The problem when these things, and we're just talking about jobs right now, but the problem when these things go away is not only is there income tied to that, not only is there self-value tied to that, but often identity is tied to the job. I know mine was whether I had a job or I had a company. And so when you enter this point where that gets taken away from somebody or replaced, not only is it trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do, but who am I? What is my value? And it's this huge existential crisis. So my belief is that you have to kind of tackle this on two ends. Number one is to prepare for change and get comfortable with change because change is just uh, a constant and it's not going to end, right? So that's A. Number two is the more work you can do to understand yourself, your value, how can you, you can Um, have value outside of your job, your identity, et cetera, which is that point of um, kind of human enlightenment um, that prepares you for it as well. And then you look for the nexus of, okay, so um, I have these two things. What does the world need and how can I add value in the world that's coming that provides this trifecta to be able to protect and insulate you from a lot of the changes that are coming.
0: Can you explain that trifecta once again? So the first bit was that change is constant.
1: Yeah, I apologize if that was a bit convoluted. Um, So first off is just an acceptance and getting comfortable with change, right? Getting comfortable with the unknown, with adapting, with realizing that the things will not stay stagnant. And they will actually, the pace of change will increase. That's one. Number two is just being able to disassociate your value, your worth from what it is you physically do, because that's going to shift and change as well, right? So this just getting really, it's the core of identity and and enlightenment, having that, right? So you have these two things coming together. Um, And then third, because we are human, because we wanna have value, like what is it that you can do that is not in the immediate crosshairs of where technology is going in order to have value in the world. And often that is something that is a lot softer than a lot of the the skills today, right? So, empathy, compassion, storytelling, um, uh, interacting with people, service to others um, are are big, but are, are more protected, or being deep into the technology in a way that helps lead it um, provides you know a bit more insulation as well. Mm.
0: Just as you were talking there, I, I I had this realization that we're moving into a a time where anything that you can Google doesn't have any value. You know, like, what, what's, what's the point of knowing something that we can just pull up in two seconds?
1: Either exactly. Google or AI. Yeah, but, but imagine the, like the implementation of it or helping people understand or the softer skills that go to it, right? Totally. Because this is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I believe that the value of knowledge – but just pure facts is going to zero. And it is because everybody will have access. But wisdom, which is, you know, the how do I apply? How do you help people with their lives? All these other things begins to increase because that's the utilization of knowledge in order to achieve things that are important.
0: Absolutely. I love that distinction. and that And that is really what the convergence of your work and my work is, because I feel like it's the way that we optimize for wisdom over knowledge is by doing the inner work required to um, accelerate and optimize this natural form of intelligence that an AI or a bot or Google will never be able to replicate, a machine will never be able to replicate, and I'm talking about instinct and intuition, um, emotional intelligence. Um, so. Do you do you agree that the, the most powerful way that 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 we can uh, learn to ride the waves that are that are coming in the future with, with singularity and, and with all these things that are coming? It, it's, it's almost like this it, it's there's something very interesting that's going on. As as technology increases, there becomes more of a need for us to rewild ourselves so that we can become more of what we already are, so that we can become more human.
1: Yeah, I I think, so when you talk about these shifts, immediately there's a large fear response for people, right, or anxiety response, and it's because what am I going to do, what's going to happen, my world's going to change, right? But look at the flip side of that, so not what's going to be lost, but look at what's going to be gained, and what's going to be gained is this incredible space Mm. for us to truly explore who we are, what is uniquely human. Um, and I think that that is setting the space for the next evolution of humanity, right? Because essentially what we're doing is we're taking away a lot of the things that consume an incredible amount of our time, attention as a species, and you're creating this huge open space. This goes back to what you are talking about before. You can't have the growth or the enlightenment or the revelations without space. Technology is going to create this incredible amount of space. But if we don't know what to do with it, if we're not prepared to utilize it, it's like staring into the void, dude. That's scary.
0: Totally. Totally. Um, so how are you... What's, what's your medium at the moment for for helping people understand what it means to be human and, and, and equipping them for the transition that's coming? I understand you're doing public speaking. Um, how, how can people like learn more about what you're
1: doing? Yeah, no problem. I... Um, so I'll be honest with you, like, so this right here has been a shift over the last year for me. I sold my company, um, and it was to create space to understand what my path was, how can I best help? And so I've begun speaking. And I think that's one of my best vehicles for being able to share this message because I want a lot of people to understand what's going on. So it's not just the elites who are privy to this knowledge that are able to benefit from it, that we're taking the whole of humanity with us. Um so speaking is a big part of it. I'm sitting down to uh write a book uh detailing a lot of the initial part of the journey for me because I believe that leads towards people understanding how to deal with change and fulfillment and giving them the first breadcrumbs to step upon. Mm-hmm. Um and uh for some people, uh and it's small only because we don't take very many at a time, uh, Matt and I have something called Adventure X where we take people on a journey that intentionally gets them uncomfortable. Um, in order to just get them into that mindset of how do I deal with a world that is uncertain, uncomfortable, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's again, like I'm not pitching that. And the reason I'm not is because it's limited. We only take four people at a time. Um, I believe that the real work is in spreading the message and in helping people understand how do they fit into this evolving world. And, And it's going to involve, um, Uh, a big step up, uh, for me and from a lot of other people, um, onto a world stage to try to, to share that.
0: Awesome, man. Um, yeah, I'm so happy that there's people like you spreading this message. Um, finally, like, can I hone in on this, this area of fulfillment as fuel, um, that you recently spoke about? Um, it seems to me like the, the quest for meaning, um, also, often described as as finding one's purpose, is it, it's like this elusive search for this holy grail that sends many people off on wild goose chases um, to try and find it. And uh, there's a, there's a lot of people out there who fundamentally feel like that they're lacking something in their life because they see other people with this thing called purpose and fulfillment <laughs> and meaning and they want it, um, and, and they, they feel like that they must be doing something wrong because they don't have it. Um, so w- what advice could you give for people around um, allowing a sort of type of meaning and fulfillment that it, that is organic and, and natural and authentic and real?
1: Yeah, that, that's a beautiful question, man. Um, before I answer the how, I think it's important to understand what it is that we're, we're aiming at, right? So um, the reason I talk about fulfillment versus happiness is um, uh, happiness is an emotion. And sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. And that's part of the journey of life. Fulfillment for me is that gauge of how are the things that we're doing in our life leading us towards a path that is better for us and for the world or not. Um, I believe that fulfillment is made up of um, something that you can focus on, that you simply love doing uh, to the point where even when it's difficult, you wanna do it, like that, that pursuit of mastery, right? And it's often uh, aligned with our gifts. So that's, that's one component. Second component is that it's, it's tied to relationships and that's relationships with others and relationships to ourselves. That's a key component to having fulfillment. And then third is being able to take those gifts, that thing that we're pursuing mastery in, take the relationships we have and utilize those in a way that serves others. So we're now taking, talking about something that is outside of ourselves, that is larger than ourselves. For me, those are the three components that help to lead towards fulfillment, right? And then when you talk about how do you get there, what are the steps? Um, for me, there are two. Um, and simple does not equate to easy, right? These things are not always easy to do uh, because they they lean into our anxieties. Uh, But the first, it's just like you said early on in this, uh, this, this podcast, is have some regular rhythm of space, right? And that regular rhythm of space, whether you take it to walk or to meditate or to journal, it doesn't matter. You choose the vehicle that's right for you. But if you do that regularly, what happens is you start to understand yourself a little deeper. And then you create an awareness around yourself. And then you can simply ask the question, do I feel more fulfilled or do I feel less fulfilled right now? And then you end up with a compass that guides you in the right direction, right? So that's, that's the initial step. That mm-hmm. compass that points you in the right direction will mean that action is required, right? Because things don't, I, my belief, things don't just come to us. We are an active participant in our own um, future, an active participant in our own story. And so that requires experiments. So that needle may point you in a direction. You think, I, you think, I think I'd like to do this. Mm. Well, you don't know until you try. Like I, mm. I wanted to get back into speaking. I wanted to to run, you know, an event and everything else this year. I set up experiments to say, I'm going to do this once. And if I love it, I'm going to do more of it. And if I didn't, I'm going to figure out how to shift or change or do something else. And so you begin actively doing things and experimenting and set them up. So it's not like I have to do this thing for the rest of my life. But it's just this tiny experiment, this little thing that's easier to do. And if it doesn't go perfectly, there's no problem. Mm -hmm. And that is those two steps together, that space and being willing to do these tiny experiments. That's how you make these shifts, these changes, and you get it on this path without having to make incredible changes in your life and uproot everything and go through the incredible difficulty of hitting rock bottom and trying to rebuild everything. It's not necessary.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful, practical wisdom there. The, and as you were speaking, I was, I was realizing how those two steps of finding space and, and creating tiny experiments with this mindset of like detached curiosity um it is 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 the way that i found my path to doing what i'm doing with flow state now like there there was there was this stage where there was just like lots and lots of time and space to contemplate and then there was this this period where it was just like rampant experimentation of like i'm going to try this and try this and try workshops and try one on one and try running retreats and try until until eventually the things that felt most meaningful kind of like bubbled to the surface and it, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a key part that often,
1: yeah, people don't give enough attention to. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, I something came to mind just as you were saying that. I love the word that, the way you phrase that, um, the detached curiosity, right? And what came to mind immediately when it was like it was space and it was you know experiment and it was curiosity was this is really just play, right? It, it, it's like being a kid again and playing and you know, I'm going to be a fireman and putting on the hat and everything else, right? Um, yeah. I think eventually they kind of merge together into what is a more constant state of play and then play, funny enough, completely unplanned, that's flow, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, we've, <dude. laughs> we've circled around on flow.
0: <laughs> um, we've circled around on flow, absolutely. Have you, have you heard this uh, wonderful quote by uh, a fellow called, Uh, James Michener Um, I'm going to find it real quickly Uh, so it's it's about you know you you spoke there's a few things that we spoke there you you talked about fulfillment as being this uh, pursuit of of mastery um, which is which is really really interesting because I feel like a lot of people are trying to find their purpose through some sort of external Thing Like, is it, is it, am I supposed to help provide clean water to children in Cambodia? Or is it, am I supposed to like help entrepreneurs or, but there's this, there's this other form of mastery, which is really embodied by the, the in that Japanese Jira dreams of sushi, which is not about me, um, <laughs> which, which is all about this internal pursuit of mastery, which is like, you know, like the, the satisfaction one gains in the in, incremental Uh, gains and the pursuit of excellence in something and um, this quote by James Michener which really sums up you know everything that we've just spoken about it's the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play his labor and his leisure his mind and his body his information and his recreation his love and his religion he hardly knows which is which he simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does Leaving others to decide whether he is working or playing. To him, he's always doing both.
1: That is, awesome. you. I've heard that before, and again, I think at the right time things sink in. I just got goosebumps listening to that, and I think there's an incredible amount of truth there. Mm. Um, and mm. uh, you know, it all begins with a step, right? And it's just mm. taking that initial step of space and experimenting, and allow it to involve, like, evolve into. That exact space you just described what a beautiful quote
0: yeah that's it 's beautiful uh, I, I feel like what's what 's emerged from this free flowing discussion uh, quite you know like fortuitously accidentally synchronistically is kind of like an actual pathway to f- for other people to consider um, towards a meaningful life, and you know thank you for sharing your story because you 've helped us understand how you 've gone through this process of the stage of your life, which was all about the, um, you know, kind of like the American dream in the entrepreneurial sense of just like building a big business and having the kudos and the wealth attached to that, um, to detaching yourself from that and building in periods of space and exploration, um, into your life. And then, um, having a expansion of awareness that's emerged as a result of those experiences, which has allowed you to come back into your life basically at a higher level of consciousness where you can now begin to do the little experiments um, and that have led you to this place where you feel fulfillment. Um, And I think that that's, this is is a wonderful story for people to hear out there. Let's, let's close this, this chat, um, even though we could chat for hours uh, with the very um, simple question of how how do you find flow in your life these days?
1: Um, Chris. I find flow in creation, um, at my core, I am more artist uh, than um, logician or more artist than business person, although I embody both. And so anytime I get to sit down and begin creating, um, it create, forces an incredible um, emotional openness that immediately leads me into flow.
0: Beautiful. Creation. Creation is is such a a pathway to flow, isn't it? And I love the way that you're identifying yourself as an artist. And I, and I invite anybody who's listening to this to consider the possibility of identifying themselves as an artist. We're all artists, you know, um, we all, we we all have this choice to, to phrase our sentences in certain ways or to put a blue t-shirt on or a red t-shirt on, you know what I mean? Or to, to arrange the food on our plate in a, in a, in a particular way that brings us delight. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a powerful shift when one decides that one is an artist.
1: I could not agree more, man. You've summed it up incredibly well. Awesome. Cool. Chris, thank
0: you so much for sharing uh, your nuggets, your, your life journey um, with us today. I'm going to share just, just very quickly. Like if people, do you have a a
1: website that people can um, read about you on? Yeah. uh, Chrisplow.com. You're welcome to go there. Also, Twitter, Chris Plough is a great way to interact. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Chris. Beautiful, man. Thank you for this platform and for helping us share this stuff. Awesome.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Plough. I love the way that that conversation free flowed and eventually we reached a point where we were talking about play and flow after going through the process of Talking through discomfort and fear and frustration and exploring how fulfillment arises um, within the space that we allow it to arise in. Um, And also what arises from that space is the capacity to experiment freely um, in our lives. And it's through this experimentation process that we really gain far greater levels of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And it's a crucial part of living in flow. Of building into your life architecture this uh, capacity to experiment and try new things. So what is it in your life that is not yet in your life? What experiments are just waiting to be explored? What is it that you can just give a crack? Like is it an adventure? Is it a new, is it pursuit of a new skill? Is it a deeper level of mastery in something? Is it the letting go of something? Just allow yourself to uh, contemplate that particular question. What is it that you can turn into play in your life in this pursuit of mastery and flow? Um, Tune in next time. We've got some amazing interviews coming up with a master of breath and a master of movement and meditation um, over the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for tuning into this show. It means a lot to me. If you've got any feedback, any ideas, any questions, you can always email me at giro at flowstate.co. And if you're looking for your tribe, check out flowtribe.co. If you're a founder of a business, um, and you 're looking to create an organization, a culture that flows, that is a culture of trust and empowerment and belief. Then this is the work that Flow State is doing on a higher level as well. working with a handful of companies led by progressive founders. If that's you or if that's someone you know, please forward on our details. Until next time, take care, stay in the flow of life. See ya.
1: Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.